0: Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson
1: is purely coincidental. And here's your 30 second summary.
0: Raised in a tumultuous home, this woman bucked convention, fought her inner demons, marched to the beat of her own drummer, and wrote what is considered one of the earliest feminist documents, long before feminist documents were cool. The end.
1: Let's talk about Mary Wollstonecraft. Yes. Let's, first,
0: let's drop her into history. In 1759, George Washington marries Martha Dandridge Curtis. The 27th recorded passage of Halley's Comet. George Frederick Handel of the Messiah died. Marie Antoinette, our friend, turned four. And on April 27th, Mary Wollstonecraft was born in London. Mary was born the second of seven children to Edward and Elizabeth Wollstonecraft her grandfather had been a master weaver and had left quite a large inheritance to her father, Edward, who was not the world's greatest
1: money manager. I mean, think about that. He was the son of a self-made rich man. And so he had no talents for stick-to-itiveness right. himself. Mm, that's how it goes. Yep. And basically he didn't want to mess around with weaving no, and all that. He wanted worked. to go move out in the country where he could hobnob and throw some money around. So and He, he
0: did out. really good at the throwing the money around part. And then the hobnobbing kind of slipped off because <laughs> he didn't have any money left. Well, he was a spendthrift and he was an alcoholic. There's mm-hmm. no, yeah.
1: you know. He was he not a
0: nice man. He was pretty uh abusive.
1: And, like. yeah, and Mama... She wasn't the strongest of character. She was abused by her husband and kind of took this um, technique that we see a lot of taking to your bed. Mm-hmm. Les Invalides, they right. used to call them. Mm-hmm. But little Mary used to sleep in front of her mama's door to protect her. I know, that's, that's so really sad. The family dynamic was kind of crazy in the first place. The primogeniture, you know, mm-hmm. was in full swing. Ned was to inherit everything. The other six children were to get nothing. And Ned would be the oldest Sibling, Ned's the right. oldest son. He was the only one the mama even breastfed. This is how preferential the treatment was. Everyone else was sent away to live with a poor family until they were weaned or whatever, and mm-hmm. Ned was breastfed by his own mother. Seems yeah. interesting. And the preferential treatment did not stop their entire Maybe childhood. She didn't like it. <laughs> she had enough to deal with. It. I mean, her husband wasn't being really nice to her, and I mean, it was kind of a gloomy. It was. Mary was, I mean, as the oldest girl, kind of forced to take charge of the household pretty early. Mama was in bed, and Dad was probably also in bed, or laying on the ground, or some hobnobbing. Who, who, knows? who knows where he was? I like the hobnob just once. Just to try it. You know, worse of all, though, they were both inconsistent. And that's worse mm-hmm. than anything. Because yes. Dad would be jovial, jokey man, right. happy, jolly, Santa Claus man, and right. then he would hit someone. And then Mama would be you know, let's bring you up in the good way that we all should go. And I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. So, step outside my door. Thanks, honey. So, they what moved on up to the fashionable end of a little jewel box of a town called Beverly. And they're, you know, I'm talking upper, upper middle class here at this mm-hmm. point. At the beginning. At anyway. the beginning. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Papa kept up with the Joneses to his detriment. But the kids could go to school now. So, that was good. They went to school. Mm -hmm. And what did the sons learn? Well, you know what the sons learned. Literature, mathematics, Greek, Latin, math. What did the girls learn? How to do your household accounts, to read just enough to be able to perhaps read something aloud to their husbands.
0: Yeah. Mm -mm -mm. Mm -mm.
1: Yeah, this was the time when ladies were expected to honestly hide their intelligence if If they wanted to get married. Right. And Mary had intelligence. Yep. And she found a way around the system. She did. She had a neighborhood friend who had a dad that she really always Mm -hmm. wanted. He brought up his daughters just like his sons. He educated them the same, allowed them the run of the library. Remember Abigail Adams had the run of her father's Mm -hmm. library? It's kind of the same kind of thing. You're talking about Jane, right? Yeah, Jane Arden. A
0: really great way to research women anybody i guess is to read their letters and there are a lot of letters out there that mary has written and some of them are to jane she was really impressed by jane she loved her family and she in her letter she's very um almost she's playing at the beginning she's trying to get into jane's good graces Mm -hmm. so that she could become a part of that family circle circle right Um, And she was actually a very possessive friend to
1: Jane. I think that goes throughout her whole life. Yeah. She gets kind of obsessed with one person mm-hmm. and uh, gets kind of mad when they don't equally... Like, she was mad when Jane had other friends.
0: Which would be really common in... In ta- this time, especially in their social class, class to have other friends and oh no, yeah, new, you know, no, she's
1: and you know what, Mary was not always stuck in the library. She did the regular things expected of an upper upper middle class girl. They went to dances. They giggled. This is not all serious. No. I mean, you know, um, but. They had very romantic notions of friendship. It was very common for young ladies of this time to walk arm in arm mm-hmm. and write the most goopy letters to each other. Right. About,
0: my dearest, I love you, d- darling. They are very romanticized yeah. r- friendships,
1: yes. hmm That's true. But suddenly, Papa spent just enough money that they couldn't afford the house anymore, and they had to bail and go to a... Not so good part. Crossed over the tracks, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, a lot lower than she was used to. Like, it wasn't really safe for young ladies to walk outside, really. Mm-hmm. And that was very depressing. That yeah. was very depressing. Although, I wonder how much of it was really depressing and how much of it was a lack of access to Mr. Arden's library, because that was cut off. Right. <laughs> the cool thing is, she did get access to another library. She had next-door neighbors named the Claires, and they took a liking to her, and the Mr., <laughs> set her on this reading scheme of works of philosophy. Now, does that not sound like throwing someone in the deep end? It's like, can we not start with, you know, novels or something? No. No. So, instantly, she was reading Locke and Rousseau, Locke was the ideal in which the, um, like, Thomas Jeffersons and the Adamses based all of the Declaration of Independence, Constitution, our political process, Locke was their dude. That was him. Yeah. And it's about the same time period. But anyway, so Locke and Rousseau, and he introduced her to his student, Fanny Blood, and it was love at first sight is how she described it. Yes.
0: (laughs) Now, Fanny is the, she kind of takes over, like you said, all through her life. (laughs) Fanny becomes the... The it girl for Mary. <laughs> and they're just, they're besties. And, um, Fanny is really more of a traditional girly girl than, mm-hmm. than Mary is. I, I, think they work together yeah. because they, they have more yeah. of those differing personalities. Well, and
1: she is kind of regarded as a fourth sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the name. Oh, okay, there's Eliza is one of the sisters, but one of the sister's names is Everina. Averina. I love that. Everina. Wollstonecraft. I wouldn't like to spell it in kindergarten. For no. Sure. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll try I like spelling Vollenweider. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Susan's children. Yeah. Everybody's prospects in that neighborhood were so strange. There's no dowry. There's no connections. There's kind of some prettiness. She was kind of conventionally pretty. Um, she had very strange parents, and so Mary decided very early to get a job and try to support Fanny and herself. Yeah, she had this idea that they would live together forever and ever. As a, a partnership? I mean... And, you know, history does regard this as a platonic friendship. Marie Antoinette had several of these friendships. Mm-hmm. They were so intense that it's like a love. Yeah, well, and a lot of men, and I know we have a lot of male listeners,
0: they don't all get it. Women's relationships are super different than men's relationships with yeah. other men. And I can I can kind of understand this. There's been several times that, you know, you go, oh, gosh, could we just move to a commune and... You can do the cooking and I'll do the cleaning. Like Kate and Allie. Oh my gosh, Kate and
1: Allie. Yes, that's it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of um a little bit shocking from someone of her background to leave the paternal roof. So young, you're supposed to you're supposed to leave your father's house for your husband's house. Right. Like the same day. You're not supposed to have this like break time of you know, we're going to make it after all. Right. <laughs> well, you're, not, you're not supposed to have that interval of single right. gallivanting. Right. But she determined she was going to do it. And what options were available to, to a young woman of such birth? You've got, you know, governess. Mm. hmm You've got... Lady's companion. Yeah, so that's kind of what she went with. School teacher. School teacher. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of tried
0: what was expected of someone of her class and her upbringing.
1: So and yeah, so she went to be a companion to an older lady, <laughs> which didn't really work out so great. No, do you remember in Little Women, if you've read Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, how how well Jo got along with Aunt March? Mm-hmm. It kind of went exactly like that. She's in the house not a
0: servant, exactly. The level of this particular job is not, like, a maid, or um, if, if the woman had been royalty, she would have been a lady-in-waiting. Right. Like a companion. That's what it was, lady's companion.
1: This lady had a habit of talking to her as if she were the family dog in front of people, and Mary just felt humiliated, and she felt like her spirit was broken. A little bit. And having come from the household that she did, it probably took quite a
0: bit to get her spirit broken.
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely. And so, you know, her sister Eliza, these people, <laughs> man, already, they're just starting to... Sister Eliza wrote and basically just said, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, basically, okay. mother's very sick and we're sick of doing all this. You need to come home and do some of this. So, we're sick of messing with it. But for Mary, it was
0: like, <laughs> "Cool, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> See ya. Oh, my mother's deathly ill,
1: and actually, she was, because she died. Well, yeah, she took, okay, so she goes from that companion relationship, <laughs> right. where she's actually paid for it, to be the companion to another ungrateful old lady, her, her mother, for so two time. more years. Yeah. Good time. Uh, her mother just never, her last thoughts were of Ned, oh, you know, Ned, Ned, my son Ned, and you're like, look, what the heck? Who has, has been bathing done for your brow you? for two years? Who? Ned wasn't here. So Mary's winner of the father was already out courting his wife's successor. Yeah, well, he needs a wife. Evidently. So right I after, right after the mother died, I'm talking he was courting her while his wife is alive. Mhm. Openly. Mhm. Dirtbag.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> he's not actually lived this really pristine life up oh. until this point, so why should we expect it to do I know. anything? I just, man. Noble.
1: What? Can no one have a happy childhood? You know what? <laughs> know. Maybe happy childhoods don't produce great men and women. Maybe that's what we're running into on this podcast. <laughs> it's like if you were too happy, we don't know about you. Because you were happy your whole life and pig daisies and ate apple oh, pie and did, you know, nothing. I, do
0: you see the light bulb going off over <laughs> my head? That's a very interesting I'm observation. I'm just wondering, like, why can't anybody get a break? I don't know. These, uh, these some of these women that we talk about, their lives, I mean, and that's why we talk about them. They're just, they read, the lives Like, if they were in the novel, would you believe all the stuff that happened to these
1: people?
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, no.
1: So he married this person, this person that his daughters hated, and, you know, frankly, everyone hated it. And the family kind of scattered like chickens. That was the breaking point right there. The oldest son married, and he begrudgingly took the two sisters, Eliza and Evelina, even though it was really as the oldest son and as the inheritor. It's his responsibility for any unmarried sisters. Frankly, he should have taken Mary, too, although I don't think she would have gone with him. But it was his responsibility to provide a home for them until they died or got married.
0: You almost sound like you're surprised that the fruit of the loins of the father is Mm -hmm. not a stand-up guy. That's true. So, what, what does Mary do? She goes and lives with the bloods. Yes. Which is Great. Which
1: is great. She loves it. Mm-hmm.
0: She wants to, she wants to live with Fanny forever and ever and be emotionally and financially co-supportive, Kate and Allie.
1: And she even loved the parents, although she called Mr. Blood, Mrs. Blood's torment. Because <laughs> he was another, you know, charming near-do-well with big dreams and no pocketbook. Uh-huh. Know? But still, it was like not anything like her house. Okay, so um, w- at 23 years old, Miss Mary... Um, took part in this drama that kind of shaped her mind clearly toward her most famous work, Vindication of the Rights of Woman. Eliza had no dowry, but Eliza was very pretty. Mm -hmm. So she married. She got married. She looked good. She was conventional, feminine. Mm -hmm. But suddenly Mary was summoned. Your sister has gone mad. Your sister's gone crazy, said her husband. And Eliza was crazy with grief or anger. We don't know what it is, but she said her husband mistreated her, and she wanted to escape. Well, the thing is, she already had a child, but right. if she left, that child is her husband's child. Right. And always get the custody. And I, and I had read some stuff that she was suffering possibly
0: from postpartum depression.
1: She'd have to um, leave her child behind. British law was all in the husband's favor. Right. All in the husband's favor. The wife literally needed an act of parliament to get a divorce, <laughs> mm-hmm. and there were many routes available to a man who wanted to get a divorce. Seems pretty unfair. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So she had to flee with hastily packed suitcases and hide from So they her go into hiding. Yeah, and Mary and Eliza
0: go into hiding, leaving the husband and the child behind. And sadly,
1: several months later, the baby died. So Eliza had nothing. Her husband gave her yep. nothing. She had no child, but she said that she did not regret this decision. And that made a big impression on Mary, I think. Mm-hmm. All yeah. Eliza wanted was to be free, no matter what the cost. So they did break some taboos right now. You know, you can buck the system, but you're going to pay, basically. Yeah, yeah. Most of their friends wouldn't talk to them anymore. I'm just like, people, can't you be a little supportive?
0: No. Well, no, it was a scandalous thing that she did.
1: It bucked convention, and we need to follow convention. So the three sisters, and Fanny, sister number four, moved just outside of Scandal Range and opened a school. In a place called Newington Green. Which was kind of a sweet
0: little community made up of free thinking religious people. Let's put it
1: maybe that's a good way to put it. And I'm thinking it's kind of like a college town.
0: Instead of sitting around talking about the weather and the crops and the sheep and the brandy, they're talking philosophy and religious theory. It's very intellectually awakening
1: although mary was told to dumb down her curriculum a little (laughs) she had high ideals for these she got 20 students right off the bat that's a pretty high amount so she must have had a very good um way about her good in the living room so um a unitarian minister named dr price took up these sisters especially mary Mm -hmm. and um he had this whole his philosophy can be boiled down to we must attack injustice wherever it appears so he was for the american revolution Thanks, Doctor Price. He's also for (laughs) the French Revolution. Um, And at the time, they were seen as very similar. You know, Mm -hmm. we'll learn later that they are not similar. But the American Revolution and the French Revolution at the time were like, the little people are rising up and standing up for themselves. You know. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) And um, he joined clubs that admitted women openly, too. And, And, you know, he enjoyed discussing with them. So I thought that was very nice.
0: Yes. And she was very fond of him.
1: Yeah, and during the course of all these conversations, she was told, you're so full of ideas, you should pursue a literary career. Mm. But the problem is, the school is taking up all her time. It's not just a matter of, like, hey, let's show up, teach these girls the thing. Okay, no, you've got tradesmen coming to the door with oatmeal, and you've got th- to see that there's enough coal, and that people have clothes, and write letters to their papas and their mama. It was like it right. took up a lot of time. It wasn't just the business of the education, it was the mm-hmm. business of the school. Then she rented a larger premises and took in borders. Okay, so now she's running a bed and breakfast, (laughs) too. Yeah. (laughs) So she didn't really have her free
0: time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Fanny, the conventional Fanny, the person that Mary Wollstonecraft was convinced they were going to still be living together at 65. Yes. Betrayed her. Yes. Not really, but, you know, (laughs) it was viewed as a betrayal. Yeah, she went and got married. What? And she moved to Portugal, of all places. Oh, so Mary went into a severe depression. Ah, one of many. Yeah. She didn't eat. She didn't sleep. She would wander around the school building, you know, saying that her mind was going to ruin her body. And she just couldn't get over it for the longest time. Well, it's her bestie. She had plans. She was
0: in control of the situation. And then all of a sudden, Fanny, who's not a real controlling kind of chick, changes the control and leaves.
1: Yep. Yeah. You know, eventually she comes resigned to it, but when it comes to her that Fanny is about to have a child, Mary is determined to go to her in Portugal.
0: Right. And she does. And it doesn't work out really well for Fanny and her baby because again, here we are, baby number 2 has died.
1: Yeah, during yeah, during Mary's 3-month stay there, uh, Eliza and Everina have been left to run the school.
0: Right. And
1: They ran off all the borders by being Mm, irritable uh and being proud. And they were grinding the business into the ground. Students just didn't come back after Christmas. They're just like, Mama, I'm staying home. This is ridiculous. (laughs) And people didn't come back. And so, as usual, it was up to Mary to just fix everything. You know, she's just getting over. Fanny and the baby both died. Right. She arrives after a long voyage and is handed all this mess, all this responsibility Thank goodness you're home. Here you go. We're out. Dump. That's awful. It's no good.
0: But something interesting has happened between leaving for Portugal and coming home to this mess. She has started work on her first novel, which is called Mary of Fiction. And it's based on the experiences she had traveling to visit Fanny. So this would
1: probably be a good place for us to take a little break. And when we come back, we will talk about the beginnings of Mary Wollstonecraft's writing career and we're
0: back so uh mary has come home to newington green and her school's a mess Mm -hmm. it's fallen apart her best friend and her baby have died And she needs to find a way to support herself and her sister.
1: Yeah, her debts uh, are not disappearing with her prospects. No. Unfortunately. So she gets a job as a governess,
0: which is another acceptable career for a woman of her station. But one that she hates. She's about as successful in this one as she was as a lady's
1: companion. She's got too much. um... She's not an order taker. She's not an order taker. I don't know what the what's the short word <laughs> of that is. She's arrogant. <laughs> her friends uh, in her Doctor Price circle urged her to write professionally, and she thought, "Well, okay. Hmm, I've run a school. What could I write about?" And she wrote this book, and here's the title. Let me take a deep breath. It's really yeah, long. It's really long. <laughs> Thoughts on the education of daughters, with reflections on female conduct in the more important decisions of life. They're not making this into a movie. No, <laughs> no, no. It's fifty pages long. Um, one interesting principle is um, quote, "No employment of mind is sufficient excuse for neglecting domestic duties." So one might think that's not so feminist, but she is a woman of her times. The basic message of this book is: you're not going to change the world. It's an unjust place. The only thing you can do is change yourself. Right, but she, but in his book, she's talking about. Artificial manners
0: and boarding schools and the treatment of servants, which is very consistent with the education that they would have been receiving anyway. Mm -hmm. But she also encourages parents to teach their daughters, which is interesting considering her own parents, to develop the the wherewithal in their brains to overcome disappointment.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a very optimistic book. But this is the period called The Enlightenment, which was the awakening of the common man, Mm Um, basically, or woman, in this case. And so, you know, she's a product of her time, too. We're awakening to the fact that man has to make his own path. Now, at this point, she has this really
0: great relationship with a man named Joseph Johnson, who is a book publisher. Um, She considers him a father figure, and he's encouraging her in her writing.
1: He's Benjamin Franklin's publisher. <laughs> so go. I'm talking he has chops. Yeah. He's not a hack. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, he's a real guy. And he had this habit of um, giving money to his protégés. Like, to you know, not, and he set her up in an apartment, but it wasn't like that. You know, they didn't right. have that kind of relationship. No. But he would basically make it easy enough for them to live so their creative juices can start flowing. Right. Um, so Joseph Johnson, the publisher, took that book eagerly and published it. And um, he gave her ten pounds for it. Wow! So it doesn't seem like that much for no. you know whatever. And that's nice. You know that is nice. But the debts didn't really go away. No. Even though she now was a a professional writer, she was officially a professional writer. Yeah. She had an extensive acquaintance network, mm-hmm. which reminds me of my husband. By the way, uh-huh. yes. if you need anything done, you call a friend of a friend. So uh, Joseph Johnson had <laughs> some friends. Of a upper station in life Uh. who needed a teacher for their three daughters, Lord and Lady Kingsborough. And they hired her for 40 pounds a year to teach their three daughters. They were parents of 12 children, but they had three daughters. So she only had three students. She felt demeaned. She felt... I mean, they were good-natured enough, but they weren't intelligent. You know, they were like jovial people who surrounded themselves with cackling morons, basically, (laughs) that wanted to dress up and... Eat dessert, and it sounds like the when Antoinette movie <laughs> I was right just now. Say, well, this is going on in uh, Versailles. So I'm about right now too. They were both very jovial, attractive people, and Mary just didn't get along with them very well. Yeah, they all. were her
0: people, and they were in Ireland too.
1: I will tell you though. So she got this job, and so she learned French. Like, oh, I'll just learn French. And later, she learns German. I know. Is that amazing? Yeah. I mean, just like that. Wow. Yeah. So she started to write these letters of melancholy. You know, she's a published author, and I think she felt like, now that I'm a published author, my life is going to change. Well... You still have to earn money. Yeah. You still have to. I mean, you can't just write on that one thing. But she would write letters that said things like, I have most of the comforts of life, but when weighed with liberty, they are of little value. And anytime she got sick, she would say, perhaps I will leave this veil of tears and go to the Lord. Oh. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> oh. That is ridiculous. Yes. Well, she's a writer. <laughs> Well, she always thought she was better than her situation. Always. And that the people she worked for were not worthy of her. But that said, she really did do a good job of teaching. She was good with those girls taking them out into the world to learn things. She didn't preach to them about charity. They would go make food and pack it and take it to the poor themselves instead of just learning about the virtues of charity. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a practical type of education. Hands on. And the girls started to listen to Mary more than their mother, which irritated Lady Kingsborough a lot. And there was some jealousy. Yeah. Well, she doesn't leave on her own. No, no, no. She was hiding. Mary was hiding her increasing irritation with decreasing skill. Let's right. put it that way. Determinedly, she sat down and she wrote a novel. That thing, you know, that where you, where you say in a movie, that thing... So any similarity to persons living or dead is entirely coincidental because she could not have put that on this book. No. <laughs> every single person was a caricature. It was like the Saturday Night Live of novels. Every sing- single person had, every single person had a part in it. um the book was called Mary. The heroine was named Mary, who had a drunk father. Her current employers were in there as clear as daylight. The childhood friends were clearly there Mm -hmm. with a name change. Mm -hmm. Visitors to the house. She'd heard some conversations, which made it right in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Yeah, then it's all sensational forced marriages and lovers dying and descriptions of poverty. And you can just hear all the violin music and, like, the Lifetime Network making this movie. Are you dissing on my Lifetime movies? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's over the top. It reminds me of, again, in Little Women. When Joe writes those stories for the volcano, yes. Where, like everybody has a dagger in their boot, or there's poison in a ring, and it's just so. Anyway, <laughs> so you know, after all this irritation with the jealousy and all this, and obviously Mary's not attending to her duties, she's writing, you know, for the volcano or whatever. <laughs> um, Lady Kingsborough just boot like goodbye. Yeah, she's done. I'm done with you. She's done. So she got fired. Seriously really, fired. Yeah, but
0: she goes back to London. Which is probably where she wanted to be anyway. It's probably just the kick in the bustle she needed. Yeah, right. And she goes back to work for Joseph Johnson. Yes.
1: Starts hanging out in these these brainiac circles. Well, she, yeah, she determined, I'm going to go to London and I'm going to be a writer. Okay. So off, off she goes. goes. Off she goes. And
0: uh, Joseph Johnson has launched a periodical, I guess you'd call it
1: called the Analytical Review, and he puts her to work. Yeah, and what's really cool, this was like kind of a golden age, because at this point, 50% of Britons were literate, which is not... Something that had happened in the past. So that was good. And it was the land of subscription libraries and three volume novels and all these specialty magazines would come up. Everybody could have a magazine. Right. Now. Or a blog. Or a, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just like a blog. And the cool thing is publishers were the ones crawling all over each other to grab hold of material. It wasn't the writers. These publishers were entrepreneurs and they are scrabbling around for the right material. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it seem the opposite way now? yes yeah <laughs> um so so it, she's
0: she gets she writes everything though for him mm-hmm. she's writing all kinds of stuff she's writing children's books and she's writing reviews of other novels and i mean basically.
1: She's a writer. She is. And, um, you know, she's in this extended family now of people that worked for that magazine. I think it's pretty ironic, though, that she took lady writers to task all the time in her reviews for Mm -hmm. being too sentimental and not realistic enough and everything. It's like, girl, we read your book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how she could yell at people for doing basically the same thing. That she did that she did. But she, um, she did translations also, um, in articles to kind of keep afloat in, like uh, she said, the Analytical Review, which is religious and literary and scientific. It's just like, she got a good background in a lot of different things there. She fell in also in that circle with a few women writers who wrote these very moralistic books for children. I think she's trying to find her genre. Yeah. Right now. She's trying different genres of things, you know. And she tried one called Original Stories, and you have never seen a thing so like a soap opera in your life basically anyone good has this tiny window of happiness before the hammer comes down and if you want your children to cry themselves to sleep by all means read them these stories is all i'm saying it doesn't matter if you're good because you know you'll be dead that's right someone else in her circle along with these moral ladies was a very immoral man named henry (laughs) fuseli
0: well if you're an immoral man or else you're gonna hang out
1: with a bunch, but with a bunch of women and if we, you were an immoral married man yeah he was a free thinker let's just say he was a free thinker He was married to a lady but he also liked some boy company hmm as well. He was very unconventional he was brash and rude and somehow charmed people by In, his very behavior including Mary big time. She fell deeply in love with yeah. him. So, um, so there she's hanging out here, and then a book came out that kind of changed her life. She's thirty-one. Burke's reflections on the revolution in France came out. The Bastille had been stormed the year before, and Burke's book basically criticized the tactics of the peasantry of the French Revolution. He was basically saying, if you take established systems that have grown, in Mm -hmm. fact, naturally, and the best practices have been selected over time, and you just throw them out the window, you have nothing left but chaos. You can construct these artificial things, but human nature has created those old things. Right. And there's going to be violence, and there's going to be selfishness that is going to get out of control. And everyone jumped on him, like, how dare you condemn this great progress? You know, he was proved to be right. But (laughs) the very first rebuttal came from our friend. The very first one. And she wrote, A Vindication of the Rights of Man. She wrote it so fast, she wrote a page, turned it in, wrote a page, turned it in, wrote a page, turned it in, so it would get there first. And her basic premise is, the helpless should rise on merit and not inheritance. And she was a big defender of the middle class. Entrepreneurs, she thought, were the way that a society could change and become better. She disapproved of most of Burke's logic.
0: She and the original um, version was published anonymously, yes. but it was quite popular.
1: Well, famously, this is the first time she exhibits her feminist ideas. She took issue with him. She also took issue with the fact that Burke defended Marie Antoinette. So, I'm grumpy about Mar- uh, Mary <laughs> Wollstonecraft. <laughs> well, Because, obviously, mm-hmm. she's kind of fallen prey to the popular sentiment of Marie Antoinette. You know, Burke knew that she was worthy of defending, Mm -hmm. and Wollstonecraft thought she was just a pretty face, weak. Well, and she even said weakness should not be thought of as a virtue. So she was irritated that women thought weakness was a virtue. I I
0: have to say, reading a lot, the stuff that I read, a lot of times I'm like reading along, I'm reading along, I'm reading along.
1: And then it comes up to these, her phrases, my brain just kind of (laughs) goes... Yeah, some of that. I mean, that some of that is, um, you know, the literature at the time was very run-on sentences. It would backtrack on itself. Often, it would contradict itself. Mm -hmm. And you know, keep in mind, she wrote these page by page and turned it in, so there was no uh, cross-checking of. But Johnson is encouraging
0: her. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's on her.
1: Oh, Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's yeah. So dun dun dun. The second edition came out, and it had her name on it. Her name. Mary, which is obviously a woman's name, and oh my goodness, did those positive reviews flip almost instantly. Ha ha. Really? She was called a hyena in petticoats. She, Mm -hmm. the critics said, what does a lady presume to know about the rights of any man? And then they criticized the passionate nature of the work, where they didn't a second ago. Right. Before it was very, very popular. Yes. That's great.
0: What? A woman wrote it? Oh, no, no, no.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that passion like especially the indignation she felt for how she thought Burke really really mistreated the poor he really misrepresented women Mm -hmm. she was so angry and that passion must have gotten in her head because we should take a little break but when we come back we should talk about the work she's the most famous for yes because it doesn't happen too much later yeah which came directly out of her experience having written this book and all the criticisms that flowed from writing this book Are back,
0: So, at this point, Mary is starting to get really well-known. Either you, the people loved her, or they hated her. So, what does she do? She sets to work on yet another, what is going to be her biggest work. And that is The Vindication of the Rights of Women, colon with strictures on political and moral subjects. Like there's no short titles with this book. <laughs> um, so here's the thing about this book and whole college courses are dedicated to this piece of this piece of literature. So we are going to sum it up for you or rather
1: Beckett it is. Okay, so hmm. <laughs> yes, like she said, you can fill whole semesters with this. You yes. can you can fill whole degree programs with this. Yes. But okay, so her basic premise is that women are, in fact, inferior. Look around you, because they've been taught to be that way since birth. Her idea is that all minds begin the same no matter what case they come in. All minds are the same. And so she proposes, let an enlightened nation allow women to share all the advantages of education, of government, of society with man, and just see if they become better. They'll grow wiser. They'll, they'll be more free. And so that was pretty, that was pretty radical. She also had a radical idea that there that love is slavery unless mm-hmm. both people are equal. That she, marriage is a business
0: relationship. She constantly thought that was very yeah. interesting, <laughs> which but, was kind
1: of true. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And she also constantly held reason is the highest ideal, and the head ought to rule over the passion. Now, I will tell you, she did not walk that yeah. talk. No. It's all well to have an ideal, but we know already she's not walking that talk. But she didn't, interestingly, argue for voting rights or even rights to work in the same sphere. She kind of advocated separate, separate spheres, but with everyone working as partners together in a society for the betterment of society. She said that modesty is just a, a lie, like a, like a trick. And she said, how can you blame women? Because it's, They have to unnaturally court favor from the powerful, the men. They have to become different things in order to survive, like Scarlett O'Hara. Think about how much Scarlett O'Hara got done, but she had to go through the back way. (laughs) You know what I mean? She got stuff done. But Mary Wollstonecraft would have hated Scarlett O'Hara because she embodied all those things that she thought were the worst. And a smart woman to go Tricking like that was mm-hmm. so offensive to Mary Wollstonecraft. And she also said, I don't, I don't want women to have power over men. I want women to have power over themselves. So, there you go. That's, that's a really short version. That is a really short version. You can, of course, listen to the longer
0: version. <laughs> no, yeah,
1: do listen to it. I, I really, um, it's it's a shame. I can't we can't go too far into this book. It's her main work. It's what everyone remembers her for. I will say though, you can get it for free on iTunes. There is a LibriVox recording. They mm-hmm. record books that are in the public domain. This is one of them. And it is free and it is on iTunes. So, um, you know, just search for vindication and it'll come up. You don't have to you remember know. the whole time. Right. and
0: there's different actors and actresses that mm-hmm. read it,
1: so the voices change. In addition, so. I'm gonna link you up to a three minute YouTube video. There is a famous Three-minute philosopher guy on YouTube, and this is actually a reaction to him. It covers Mary Wollstonecraft, and it's a cartoon. Basically um, saying what Mer- Mary Wollstonecraft is all about. And it's three minutes long, and it's cartoon. And, I mean, I say cartoon. It's stick figures. So <laughs> it's not even that highly ad- evolved of a cartoon. But there's all kinds of other philosophers there if you get intrigued and want to watch them all. So yeah, that's a good that's a good even shorter if you don't have time to listen to the vindication. Yeah, it does take several hours, but 3 yeah. minutes, we all have 3 minutes. We all have 3 minutes to watch a little cartoon. So that's good. So um she has written 449 pages of ideas. The thing is she wrote it so fast. Just like she wrote the vindication of the rights of man, she wrote a page, turned it in, wrote a page, turned it in, and it it came out quickly, but there were lots of errors in it. Mhm. She didn't go back and correct anything. The grammar was poor. The spelling was poor. And I will have to say, a lot of men who might have otherwise really been impressed by it were kind of thrown by a lot of that. And she did regret it. She wanted to, she regretted going so quickly. She wanted to ask for more time. She should have asked for more time. So, but... But at the time, she had no idea
0: that this was going to be as big as it was. I mean, she was was making money. Yes. She had some... So a little bit more freedom, a little more breathing room. Right.
1: But. You know who really, really liked this book? I do, but tell us. Abigail Adams <laughs> liked it. And John Adams called her a disciple of Wollstonecraft. And you know Abigail. She probably just waved him off, like, get out yeah. of my room.
0: <laughs> he but probably yeah. left and left.
1: But she <laughs> was very impressed, Abigail, with this um, this work. I mean, obviously, it's a huge, weighty tome to be reading. You probably feel really virtuous, even Reading it. Yes. 450 pages. My goodness. <laughs> so back to Mary's real life. Do um, do listen. Do listen to Vindication yes. Rights of Woman. It's it's something you, you just yeah. have to put in. I head. did it. You should do it. If I can do it, you can. Yeah. <laughs> so back to Mary's actual life. She was now going by Mrs. Wollstonecraft. Because once you reach a certain level of prominence, you can take a courtesy title of Mrs. Also, she was old enough to do such. Certainly. But she had an un- Healthy Obsession with Mr. Fuseli. Oh, my goodness. She,
0: this is like this, she writes this really smart thing, Mm -hmm. and
1: then she goes and does this. She has a personal problem with obsession, Yes. So she kind of tricked Fuseli and his wife into accompanying her to France. Let's go on a trip. So she could work on another book. About the effects of the French Revolution. So they set out. They set out for France during the French Revolution to go watch the war. Well, Well, yeah. And this was exactly (laughs) the time when they were hauling, the revolutionaries were hauling Marie Antoinette and Louis and the children out of the Tuileries. And everyone got thrown in prison. This is exactly when this is. About a month before Louis' head falls. Yeah. So they turned back. They turned back. And Mary Wollstonecraft is seriously... Crazy letters <laughs> rained on Mr. Fuseli like owls from Hogwarts. They were coming at him from everywhere. He, there's an image that this book, this author Diane Jacoby, refers to them sticking unread out of all his pockets. Oh, because there's so many. There's so many yeah, of them. Very, they were well, just. she's a
0: writer, and yeah, and she
1: likes her letters. So yeah. imagine this: you're the wife of a famous man, and some chick bursts in your house. And basically says, you know, you can keep sleeping with him if you want to, but I need to see him daily, and let's all move in together. Won't that be great? Crickets, crickets, restraining order.
0: Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I don't even think Mr. Fuseli had to be encouraged to cut her off. No, she's banned. Mary is banned from entry into the home. And even her friends are embarrassed for her. It is bad. I mean, they made it very public. Like, look what this freak is doing. And so she, she she (laughs) capered around, like, basically telling people they'd broken up. Meanwhile, he hardly thought of her at all, frankly. He's moved on. Well, she took half a year just to get to the point where she could work again. This is how dramatic (laughs) this chick is. And her publisher, who likes her as a friend and is really thrown by this emotional torment of hers, Mm -hmm. is like, wow. Wow didn't know this was coming. <laughs> um, he basically said, I will pay your expenses if you go cover the French Revolution. Right. Like, and and you need to get out of here. <laughs> Perhaps a change of scenery will do you good. So poor Mr. Marie Antoinette, one of the Louis, Louis XVI, was on trial when she arrived. And um, most of her circle were moderates. And so they were just watching all these events with uh, really fear kind of in their minds about what was going to happen. Yeah. When the radicals got a hold of everybody. It amazes me that these people could kind of carry on this life as usual type of thing. All these salons where you would meet mm-hmm. and have conversations about philosophy and religion and I just don't know that that happens nowadays. You dress up in your fancy clothes and show up at someone's house and you might, you know, drink fancy cocktails. Yeah. I would say actually political might come up. Yeah, I was just gonna say I think I don't know that I mean, philosophy is where it actually is. Actually right my now.
0: circles, but yeah, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think Maybe politics. a lot of better. our listeners. I miss those conversations from college. I was um friends with a lot of philosophy majors, but I was a theater yes. major. Yeah. So yeah, I love this. I miss those conversations. But anyway, um yeah, the, the loose morals of this circle were kind of like opening Mary's eyes. Like, wow, what's going on around here? <laughs> so England no. declared war on France because, you know, George III's a king, and they regarded other kings as cousins or brothers. Mm-hmm. And there's another movement that France needs to take Louisiana back from Spain. You would think they had enough going on. <laughs> but evidently not. And this is where she met an American writer named Gilbert Imlay. Oh yes. Who was brought to deal with the Louisiana situation. She She's kind of all theory about
0: her about a passionate life up until this point. And then she meets
1: Mr. Imlay. And you know, really Theory Out the window is not handling this for a while. No. Here's a word about Gilbert Imlay. I can see why somebody would like him. Although he started out lying to her. Yes. Because he always called himself captain. Even though he was in the Revolutionary War for a year and he was not a captain, he told her she that he was from the frontier of Kentucky, which today you'd be like, okay, but there it was exotique. That's the frontier. That's right. And in fact, <laughs> Daniel Boone gave him money to buy land. I mean, this is, so he's been in Kentucky, yeah. <laughs> but he's from New Jersey. Right. Uh, so kind of tricky. Mm. And he dodged creditors for years and ended up hiding in plain sight in London. And then he was pulled into this Louisiana thing where they met at a party during a war. Okay. So, you know, okay. he's got kind of an exciting life, too. But he had these views that women should have the right to vote and they should not have to obey laws they didn't have a part of making. So this is like, let's meet him at a party. Of course, because she's just the woman to um, yeah personify the way that he's thinking.
0: And yeah. I think he's, like, I think he's really smitten with, his idealized v- version of Mary. Like, the Mary that he meets. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. facaded Mary. The Mary who wrote Vindication of the Rights of Women. hmm He's digging that, mm-hmm. Mary. He is digging that, Mary. Because she could, that kind of Mary can live his life. Right. She could wrap her brain around living this kind of wackadoodle
1: life. And so, perhaps influenced by... The ladies in her circle and the bravery of well, I'm you know might as well she goes to his residence and knocks on the door and then the Barry White songs begin to play. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, there we go. And you know, that was my Barry
0: White. I guess that was my Barry White.
1: And you know that scene in the Tom Hanks movie Big. When he has his first experience and then he comes to work the next day and that music plays that yes. da 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 okay. okay? That is what Mary Mary's happy, Mary's cheerful. Woo-ha. Gone are the gone are the dark days. Gone are the depression. Uh you know, insert the montage here. This is every montage of every romantic comedy. Yes. They're walking hand in hand. They're feeding each other grapes. There's a picnic on the river. There's laughter. Okay, you've got the movie montage. That's exactly what's happening. It's like romance, romance, romance. Mary, during the middle of this romance, gets inspired to make her work on the French Revolution. (coughs) Others may take that differently, but that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so during this... Romance. I'm just so struck by the juxtaposition of this happy Jennifer Aniston movie that's happening to her. And this period in the French Revolution is called the Terror. (laughs) The guillotine is snap, snap, snap. I mean, there's lines. There's lines for the guillotine. Mary, in fact, was walking at the Place de la Revolution and blood was flowing past her shoes on the street. And when she exclaimed... Because, I mean, I would exclaim, when two inches of blood comes at you... Rushing down, yeah. She she was startled and exclaimed, and someone passing by whispered to her that that was enough for them to take her over there, too, and she better button it. Oh, my God, that's so freaking dangerous. And France is at war with England. She's an enemy citizen right Mm -hmm. now. So, Gilbert took the trouble... I, this is the one good thing he did, I suppose. Yeah. He took the trouble to go and register her at the m- embassy as his wife, although they didn't get married. No, and she, but she didn't introduce herself as Mrs. Mm-hmm. Inlay, And and they lived together, so she's known now as the wife of an American, which gives her a little umbrella. Right. A little shelter. A little bit. So, but not at, long after this, what do we call it, mariage, the moving <laughs> in together. your um, <laughs> nice quotes, by the way. Thank you. Um, so he starts going on long business trips. And not coming home, and he in fact moved a hundred miles down to be close to his business. He's gone all the time. So
0: she's pregnant, and she gives birth to a little baby girl, May, and names her
1: Fanny. Hmm. Where hmm. have we heard that name before? Um. <laughs> but she is actually she's thrilled. Baby worship commences. You oh. know how Queen Victoria was warned not to commit baby worship? Oh yes. No, Mary's she's
0: she's so excited. She says. My little girl begins to suck so manfully. Well, it was an interesting choice of words. <laughs> that her father reckons saucily on her writing the second part of the rights of women. She had high hopes for this kid. Man,
1: <laughs> I guess so. Wow! And at the time, though, okay, so Gil- baby Fanny's here, and he- and Gilbert basically bails out. He moves to London. Well, wait, he
0: bails. Because she is not this woman that he thought she was. I mean, I'm not going to defend what he right, did because right. hello. Yeah. Woman and child. But all of a sudden, this free thinking, independent thinking, I don't need to get married woman is like setting up house. Uh, true. I'm not defending, but I'm just saying that's what's going on.
1: Begrudgingly, he allows her to come to London. And he pays her expenses, but he hardly writes, and he hardly sees her. And anytime she shows up in a city, he basically leaves it. That's not good. No. Welcome,
0: darling. I'll be back in a few months.
1: I remember this, um, this line that Marianne in Sense and Sensibility of Jane Austen says, to love is to burn, to be on fire. <laughs> and she is experiencing the love is to burn to be on fire, and Gilbert is not having it. He's cooled. He's completely cooled off to her. Yep. Yeah. And so Mary took an overdose of a laudanum. Intentionally. She wrote a letter to Gilbert first, which you have to really time your dose of laudanum if you want to be saved, don't you think? I would think. She wrote that she was so concerned about her daughter's future without a father, but I think she should be more concerned about her daughter's future without a mother. Without a mother. I not um, quite think that one through. No, so her vigorous philosophy got all shaken by this real-life thing. And the French Revolution was also betraying her ideals. I mean, the French had taken all rights away from women. They were told to stay at home. They were told their fathers and brothers might bring the news to them. The people that were ruling were no better than tyrants, really. And so, really, her ideals were all messed up, both in philosophy and in love. And she was really thrown for a loop. Confused. So, yeah. she, she found out that Gilbert was living with someone. Really? And so, she thinks she's going to go confront this someone, but she comes out much the worse for wear during that confrontation and she has a serious suicide attempt this time she threw herself in the thames she
0: said but she leaves this she leaves another note Mm because you know she's a writer and she writes things to him like let my wrongs sleep with me very soon i shall be at peace when you receive this my burning head will be closed i will plunge into the thames where there is the least chance of my being snatched from the death i seek God bless you.
1: So she was saved by Boltman and bystanders mm-hmm. who maybe thought she had fallen. She was so angry that they had saved her. And then for all this talk of reason, she's just tried to kill herself twice over this guy. And she shows up and offers to live with inlay and his mistress. That is groveling. Big time. That is not a strong-minded situation. So much for the head ruling the passion, yeah. Mary Wollstonecraft. So similar That's to something. the way that her publisher had sent her to France to yes. recover her... Uh, They're not even really boyfriend-girlfriend anymore. No. It's nothing. He sent Stalker and guy. Stalker and guy, yes. He sent her far away to some business in Scandinavia. Scandinavia. Hmm. Hmm. She actually writes another book, though. She wrote a book with a lot of herself in it. Mm -hmm. A lot of herself in it. And at the end, she basically said of it, anyone who doesn't want to know more about me, feel free to shut this book. So she even knew there was a lot of herself in it.
0: And, but there's a man that reads this book that she actually, she knew, and she he actually says, if ever there was a book calculated to make a man in love with its author, this appears to be that book. She speaks of her sorrows in a way that fills us with melancholy and dissolves us in tenderness. He's thinking this is cool. And who is this dude?
1: William Godwin. Well, yeah, she, she re-encountered an old frenemy. Uh Mr. Famous, <laughs> Fol- that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Famous Philosopher, Mr. Famous Legal Mind, Mr. Darling of the Ladies. Mm. He was the writer of a work called Political Justice, which sold very well and um made him super famous. And the thing is they'd met before. When Burke's book came out, and you know how Mary hurried to get her rights of men out quickly, mm-hmm. right after she was done, a writer named Thomas Paine had a book come out called The Rights of Men. Well, Mr. Godwin loved this book. He went to this party to hear that guy. Right. He didn't go there to hear this woman. He hadn't read her book. Who is this? Why are you talking? And she's talking a lot. My hero is here. Shut up. But he was too much of a gentleman to tell her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't a very, um, good first meeting.
1: No. And she would mock him all the time about his atheism. He was a, you know, he'd been brought up in a very strict Calvinist family and that really made him an atheist. And so she kept mocking him about that. They had the same circle though, the same circle. And he had read this book and he thought, Oh, I have misjudged her. Mm hmm. I have misjudged. He read the book she wrote in in um Scandinavia right. and thought, "Huh." And they, although they had the same circle of friends, began a secret love affair.
0: Mhm.
1: Yes, they sure did. And some of those letters are not fit to print. <laughs> <laughs> but they are printed. Actually. They are printed. <laughs> <laughs> They are printed, and um, he kept them from publication until after his death. Here's a mild quote. You set my imagination on fire on Saturday. For six and 30 hours, I could think of nothing else. The saucy letters flew back and forth, and here's what's really sad. Modern day, we're not going to find a box of steaming hot romance in a dark attic. We're not going to find stuff like that anymore, because there's the delete button or it's all on a screen. Well, within months, within months, she was expecting a baby. And um, they thought it was a boy and named it William and referred to him as William. Did you have a name? We used to call my son Dot when we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. Dot. Can't well, they called her William. Oh.
0: <laughs> Gosh, it was so long ago we actually gave the child that real name. Yeah, I'm sure I did. I don't remember what it was.
1: So neither one of them really believed in marriage. Godwin was very oh. against it. No, the fact that they get married at all is just, yeah. it's. Mary was very worried about her reputation because she was known to be married to Emily. Right. Emily was known to have been gone a long time. So if she's pregnant, then she is a married woman pregnant with someone else's child. But it kind of backfired. Honestly, because she got married to Godwin. Okay, so then everybody's like, wait a minute. She was never married to Emily. Her daughter is a bastard. And it kind of changed yes. people's perceptions of her. And their moral compasses were like swinging all over the place. What the heck is going on? Mm.
0: Yeah, they lost a whole lot of their circle, just chunked away when they, they got married. And their relationship is not very long. We're talking under two years, This this love affair.
1: Yeah. She started to write, um, several unfinished works we've got a hold of. There's one called Maria or the wrongs of women, which is melodramatic and is also available on LibriVox, although I have to confess I could not get, I could not really get past the first couple of chapters. I might give it another go, but that's available on LibriVox too, um, for free. But in that book, you know, she talks about how horrible the British law was and how it oppressed women. They were property. They couldn't own property. There was no divorce the evils of primogeniture, you know, etc. She also wrote a book on the upbringing of children, and then she was writing a children's book of lessons about, you know, nice homely lessons about mothers teaching their children how to make pie and things, which she never had Pat. <laughs> but I think so much of her work is projection. Wouldn't it have been great if this had happened? She's writing wishful thinking, or Mm -hmm. she's, like, getting her demons out. Right. Both, I think, are her her main tactics. So the time came, and Mr. Godwin, Mr. Scientifique, wanted a doctor to come, a male doctor, which was not usual. Now, you have to remember,
0: there's Fanny is in the house, too. mm -hmm. And he has allowed her to use his last name.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I have to say, Gilbert Emily's last finale is he shows up. And tries to make everybody um, basically sign a paper saying that, okay, I'm not the father, right? I'm not responsible financially, right? mm mm-hmm. And yeah. then he leaves. Yeah. So. He's a winner. Winner. <laughs> so, um, Mary Wollstonecraft jokingly said she was, um... Looking forward to the reduction of that portly shadow she saw every day, which <laughs> so I thought it was funny. No. We've all been there, my friend, we've all been there, but this was a long unlike her previous labor with Fanny, which was so easy as to have everybody shocked at her. This one was hard, this one was bad.
0: yeah, and there's still um, in in the collection of the letter Godwin and Mary letters of Mary William Godwin and Mary Wollstonecraft there's actually the last letters that they they send back and forth. Um she's she's with the
1: uh midwife that that is tending to her and Oh yeah, I forgot to say that. He wanted a doctor. Right. And she just engaged a midwife. Right. But there was a doctor standing by because they were independent thinkers and they each had what they wanted.
0: Right. And and what <laughs> um in one of the last uh notes he she tells him that the midwife said that everything is in a fair way. There is no fear of the event being put off another day. And that Mrs. Blankenship, that's the midwife, tells me that I'm in the most natural state and can promise me a safe delivery, but that I must have a little patience. That's the last note. Because what happens is part of the placenta breaks off during delivery.
1: She <laughs> dies. It takes 10 days. And she uh, dies of sepsis. puerperal fever. ...is what she dies of, and, you know, that's a very common thing in those days when doctors didn't wash their hands before they mucked about. Mm Mm-hmm. And then with broken Mm -hmm. placenta and and... And basically, the infection killed her. There is a serious irony in the way that she died. The baby was a girl named Mary Godwin, but Mary Wollstonecraft, who had fought to make women equals to men in every way, died at 38... From giving birth, something that only women can do, Mm -hmm. to a little girl. Whoa. It just seems that there's, like, an irony. And I have to say, some uncharitable critics of hers said that she deserved that fate for having been so unfeminine. Yeah. Like, this is God's way of telling you women are not equal to men. How about that? She was not treated well. No. in, In death. After she died,
0: William was... Grief stricken, um, he wrote to a friend that I firmly believe there does not exist her equal in the world. I know from experience that we were formed to make each other happy. I have not the least expectations that I can ever know happiness again. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is crushed. You know, they had such a short relationship, and
1: yeah, the only thing I can um, think of is that at least, at least at the end, she found really the partnership. I think she'd been. Striving for her yes. whole life. Yes, I would have to agree with that. I would. Someone came to meet her halfway instead of her having to run all the way there and in crazy ways. And accepted way. her
0: for all that she mm-hmm. was. and uh, Yeah, and, and her, um, the many differences within her. You know, she pr- appears to be this bold and brazen, free-thinking woman, but she has a soft and tender side too. and he accepted and loved all of it. So... What does he do? He collects all of her letters together, and he puts them in quickly. puts them into a book and entitles it because she is very famous at this mm-hmm. point. It only needs to be entitled "Memoirs of the Author of a Vindication of the Rights of Women." And he writes this, puts this book out out of love.
1: He honestly thinks it's a service to her memory. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. There's there's letters to Imlay in there. There's so innocent uh, and. Uh, Although he does re- withhold his the own, their own letters. Mm. But it, it gives her life. And what happens when this book comes out? He's, this is my beautiful wife who I love dearly. You will understand her now.
1: They didn't quite get it. Society <laughs> revolted at its immorality. Revolted. I mean, her reputation was ruined crashed. at least one and part of two centuries. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Centuries. Centuries. Oh, my
0: gosh. I mean, from where we are now, we look back and we can see what she did in the big picture. But Mm -hmm. back then, it was like, she did what? She slept with whom?
1: She had babies out of wedlock? She did this? She did that? Wow. Um, I will say that the daughter, her daughter, not his, in fact, although as stepfather, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she now bore his name, Fanny Godwin, daughter Fanny definitely was taken care of physically, you know mm-hmm. but godwin married again to a lady that had two small children and then he had his own daughter little mary godwin right and i have to say that i i think fanny was much the much the left out sibling i mean neither of those people were really her parents
0: no no.
1: Um
0: although I, I think she looked at him as a father. I mean yeah. there's some very sweet letters in in the letter book. He's getting he's going to Wedgwood, he's gonna bring her back a mug. She's all excited about this Wedgwood mug that he's gonna bring. I mean it's, cute. it's just real normal, very yeah. very loving. So, I think we should do a mini cast on the life of the daughter. Yes. <laughs>
1: Not Fanny. Not Fanny. You know what happened to Fanny? That's a real mini cast. That is a real mini cast. Here's the mini cast of of Fanny, Emily Godwin. Here's the mini cast. Okay. She, at a very young age, uh, yeah, as a young woman, citing the fact that she thought she was a being whose birth was unfortunate, took an overdose of laudanum. Did not write a letter intended to reach people in time,
0: and, and died. It, and she co-
1: she committed suicide. It, mm. it worked. It's magic. Um, and you know what makes me sad about Fanny, remembering how devoted her mother was to her. Like, mm-hmm. think about like the baby worship she carried her everywhere. They'd look into each other's eyes for or hours. Her buddy, I mean that was her little friend. If Mary had only lived, Fanny's life would have been so different. Oh, certainly. If well, <laughs> all of their lives would have been so different. No, I know, but Fanny's yeah. in particular was really. I mean, yeah, it, it was, was very
0: tragic. It was, it was very, very sad. tragic.
1: But yes, let's do on the more. Fortunate, slightly more fortunate, at really. least at the beginning, daughter. <laughs> um, yes, Mary Godwin Shelley. We let's do. We're going to do a mini cast on her. So, what is the main legacy of Mary Wollstonecraft? Well, it's hard to argue with the fact that vindication of the rights of woman is the main legacy. Vindication of the rights of woman is widely seen as the first feminist text. Although Mary Wollstonecraft herself would not have described it as such. Obviously, the word feminism didn't exist, and she would even argue that separate spheres is fine as long as everyone's mind is equal there's a lot to take from that there's a lot even in in this modern day to take from her work i do encourage you to listen to it and make your own conclusions Um, but knowing the background the times it was written in the person who wrote it might give you greater understanding into what the book might mean to the modern day so let's give you some links I've got a couple books that I recommend. Her Own Woman: The Life of Mary Wollstonecraft by Di- Diane Jacobs, and then longer and more detailed, and perhaps a little more, um, perhaps a little more sparkly, is Mary Wollstonecraft: A Revolutionary Life by Janet Todd. And then I need to direct you again to the LibriVox recordings, *The Vindication of the Rights of Woman*, and also. If you can stand it, because it just starts out so, oh, it starts out so depressing. <laughs> you didn't depressing. even make it. <laughs> I didn't even make it. But I you didn't know, even
0: attempt it, so you're yeah. ahead of
1: me. No judgment on quality here. I just was not in the right place to listen to something that opens up with a woman who's been drugged waking up and realizing her child has been taken. So that's the opening sentence. <laughs> wow. Etc. the opening chapter. So good luck to you, Maria, or the wrongs of woman. Also free on LibriVox. No harm trying it. And also, the three-minute philosophy, not only on Mary Wollstonecraft, but all of them yeah. on, on YouTube. Um, you know, watch the Wollstonecraft is not made by the exact one that did the three-minute philosophy. It's a um, – what do you call that? A rebuttal to it or a yeah, reply cool. oh, okay. on YouTube. Um, but I think it's done very well, and it's done in the same style as the rest of them. And I would just encourage you to, you know, hit some of those. It's good to have a basis in your mind, at least a little synopsis of which philosopher thinks what. So it's good. So I those agree. are – really the only links i have for you and i i tried i could not find uh
0: i mean obviously there's a lot of women's rights and feminist leanings message boards and things but i really all i could find was a display at a museum in brooklyn it was a little uh suggestive
1: so, oh, so there you go yeah <laughs>
0: Sorry, I disappoint.
1: <laughs> may or may not link you to such. <laughs> yeah, I probably won't. So thanks for listening. We hope we have humanized a very famous woman of the past for you. And we will see you next time. Bye. For show notes and links to the things we talked about today, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at The History Chicks. With, with an, an X. X. Or like us on Facebook without an X. Wipe the darkest shades away
0: Happiness, your saving grace
1: Ignorance won't clean the slate Won't find your final resting place
0: task at hand
1: or take a fall where you can stand disregard the reprimand needing more than second hand there's bigger pictures to paint more horizons to trace something bigger. C'est bon.